is, man, every once in a while, and it's only been, I think, once or twice that we've done worship in the round, and it is one of those wonderful moments for me as a pastor to watch uh, people in sheer terror trying to figure out where, where did our seat go, and trying to figure out where in the world should they, you know, we, we sit right here. That's where we sit. There's no here now here. We got to figure out another place to go. And so it's so cool watching people um, realizing that for the rest of this service, you're not going to be simply looking at the back of someone else's head. You're going to be looking at people's faces. And then you have to adjust to that, right? Are you guys adjusting okay? They're not so bad, right? <laughs> no, no, Ken's, sorry guys. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, you can, you can go ahead and find yourself to that passage in Exodus. Um, we are going to be looking through kind of a survey. This, this whole series has been a survey of the entire Bible. Um, as we've been looking through and recognizing that there are these one words, these, these words that, that we see just continuing to resurface throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And this week, we, we're like, I think we have two weeks after this week. And so we're, we're coming to the end of this series as a whole. But this series, this week we're talking about rest. And we're talking about this notion and this concept that is, that is really, really foreign to us as people. Because as people, what we oftentimes do is we think that rest is for the weak. Rest is for, for the people that, that really have issues. And, I and, and as an American culture, we are go, 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 go. And I learned this at a really, really early age. And I learned it at this place right here. Where is that? It's not Disney World. No, 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 no. This is the OG Disney, okay? This is the original Disney, Disneyland, Walt's original brainchild. This is the best. And at Disneyland, it's a place that I went to with my, with my family all growing up. And this is, this is how it worked out. When I was two years old, my mom was about to give birth to my brother, Josh. And then when she gave birth to Josh, it's, my birthday is December 15th. Josh's birthday is December 18th. So right around my birthday, my parents are thinking nothing about me, totally not giving me any presents, which was rude. And we get into December 18th when the, the next kid is born. And all the attention's on him. And so my mom's, you know, recovering from childbirth. Josh is, is being taken care of by nurses. My dad had some time off. He realized that he had not given me a birthday present and that he needed to do something with me. And so he said, Errol, we're going to go to Disneyland. And I had no idea what Disneyland meant, but as a two-year-old, my dad takes me to Disneyland. And that became a tradition from there on out. From there on out, the tradition was that McFadden kids don't get birthday presents. We don't. To this day, McFadden kids don't get birthday presents. What happened was, in December, somewhere between the 12th and the, and the end of school for that semester, my parents would get us out of school for one day, and that one day was the cumulative birthday present, where we would all go to this place. And we went to this place right. Okay, but back in the day, even when, when Disney was cheaper, it was still some serious change. So my dad did it right. He went to Ralph's, and he got, like, the tickets uh, discounted rate. And we would we'd wake up real early. We'd go to Jack in the Box on the way to Disney. And when we got to, 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 the, to the park, we actually would just, we'd get up there. And back in the day, you could... You, you could actually park your car and go right up to the gate, just walk right up to the gate. And so we did. We went right up to the gate and we just waited so we could be the first family to speed walk down Main Street USA to get to Star Tours or Indiana Jones and then Splash Mountain, then over to Pirates of the Caribbean and then over to Fantasyland. And after Fantasyland, Tomorrowland. And back to Tomorrowland, we're going to go to Frontierland. And we just... 
And my, what happened was, and I realized this as I was getting older, the goal was not to have fun in the most magical place on the planet. The goal was, how many rides can we get in? We have shelled out a serious amount of change for this. We're going to get our money's worth. And so my dad tried to beat the previous year's record. And so it was one of those things where by the time we get to dinner time, we're exhausted, we're hungry, we're cranky, um, we, we're just totally strung out on, I mean, totally off a hangover of a, of a cotton candy buzz that we're still running off of. And we're sitting there in the restaurant, because we would go to, we'd, after Disney, we'd go to Knott's Berry Farm for the chicken dinner, for dinner, because you just walk in. And we're sitting there at the chicken dinner, and my dad just has this smile. And he's like, guys, 21. We got 21 rides in. We, that's last year we had 20, but this year we're 21. What a, what a great day. It was amazing. And I remember thinking, there's something sick about this man. <laughs> and I grew up just like him. I grew up just like him. I, if, you go, if you were invited into a McFadden vacation with any one of the five kids, the goal is to saturate every second with activity. We're going to keep doing We've got an agenda. We're going to go do stuff. We've got to make sure that we get our money's worth because, you know, there's not a lot of money on the planet. And the little money we have, we're going to maximize that stuff. We're going to go, go, go. This go, go, go is something that continues taking place throughout all of our, our worlds and all of our lives, and we get just more and more hurried. People are frantically stressed out, burned out, overworked, tired. Our attention span is going down because even when we're, when we're supposed to be resting, we're constantly checking Facebook, social networking, making phone calls, trying to get projects done around the house over and over and over again to the point that we are just strained out people. We have very little time. We don't understand what rest is. We don't understand the concept of Sabbath is totally gone. And, and, we, and we, we, we're, whether it's having our kids in 15 sports and traveling everywhere, or it's, it's just go, go, go within the nature of our own schedules, we are maxed out. And so it's no wonder that people like this guy right here, this is Andy, um, Andy Puttacombe. He's a guy who grew up, he was born in England in 72. And he um, grows up in the very Western culture nature of go, go, go. We just go, we go, we go. We have to have everything orderly and scheduled. And, he, and that mixed with a couple of life tragedies in his life caused him to just burn out on the whole experience. And so he leaves the UK and he goes to Asia and he becomes a monk. He went, you know, every, everything is so like um, on phones and, and, and schedules and everyone is so just that he goes to Asia to become a monk. And in Asia, he learns meditation and all that stuff. And he finds a more peaceful life that is not connected to wealth, that's not connected to the rat race. It's not connected to the Joneses. It's, it's not, and, but he doesn't stay in Asia because inside of his heart is still that UK beating heart of productivity. And so he comes back to the UK and he decides to... Um, help people slow down by inventing something that goes with their smartphone. The very thing that he wanted to help people to disengage from, he said, you know what? I've got an app. It's called Headspace, and it's going to help people slow down and meditate. And, and just help the, the irony of this. The irony of, you know what? People have, they're so connected to their devices. We need to liberate them by giving them an app that they're going to go to their device to every single day, more and more and more. Andy Pitticombe was trying to deal with uh, a situation that Netflix has also discovered. Actually, not Netflix, but the Norwegians. There's a new trend in television, and it's infiltrated even Netflix, and it's called slow TV. Have you ever heard of this? 
Leave it to the Norwegians. The Norwegians come up with this concept of we're going to do this new thing where television isn't edited and cut and and produced and overproduced. Instead, we're going to have slow TV. We're going to show an old lady knitting for five hours. And people are going to tune in. And they did. We're going to have a family that's just going to sit and they're going to sing. No uh, edits, no cuts, they're just going to sing. And people are going to tune in and watch. Or we're going to show a train that's going to go from one station to the next. And a fifth of the country tuned in to watch a train. Like just literally, the whole thing is just one shot of the train going. And I, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this shot, this whole thing, it's seven hours and 14 minutes. And people watched the whole entire thing and they just ended it like, that was just wonderful. I just feel so at peace. You know why they feel peaceful? Because they had a chance to sit there and just not do anything. And what the, the creators of this have said is, our world is running so ragged, going so fast, that they have disconnected themselves from a storyline that's congruent. There, there's not a, a, just a nonstop storyline. We've divorced ourselves from that. We're in all of these, we're multitasking out the wazoo and to the point that we just need to slow down. And so Netflix buys it. If you want to, you can go to YouTube or Netflix and watch slow TV and just watch life happening at a slow pace. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, the reality is, is that this is something that our world is hungering for, but it's just out of reach. And we make every excuses for why we're not experiencing it, why we're not enjoying it. But this thing of rest is something that is not merely a good idea for your health, although it is. It's not only a good concept for your family or your relationships that you're connected with, although it is. Whether you're in junior high or you're retired, this is something that is innately important to each one of us because this is something that God has crafted us for. And we see it throughout scripture. So today, I want to show you three pictures to help us understand the greater picture of God and his picture for us when it comes to this idea of rest. This picture, and if you've got notes, um, you could go ahead and cheat because there's, it just says three pictures on your notes. The first picture is the universe. The second picture is shackles. And the third picture is a nail. So let's go first to the picture of the universe. Our, the concept of rest starts here because scripture starts with the beginning. A perfect, powerful unending um, energy God. Someone, a person who has all of the resources of, of everything, all the organizational skills imaginable, and he creates everything. And then he stops. And scripture says this about him. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. All right, now I got to ask a question about this. Did God rest because he needed to take a nap? Yes? God's like, oh, you know what? Seriously, creation was pretty easy until I got to the gazelles. The gazelles that winded me. I don't know. That was just really, really hard. They're weird animals. Is that what happened? No. God gets to the end of six days of creation, photosynthesis, DNA, our, our ability for our eyes to function the way they do. He gets to the end of those days, and then it says that he ceased. He stopped. He Sabbath. And the word for rest is to just stop all work. Like, breaks are on. We're off. It's done. 
Now, rest is not the same, and this helps us understand, rest is not the same thing as sleep, okay? If you're, if you're under the age of 30, when you think of rest, your, pro- your primary thing of thinking might be uh, sleep or lack of sleep. Who in here is 30 and under? Just raise your hand, 30 and under, okay? All right, 30 and under, oftentimes what we're thinking of when, when we have lack of lack of rest is like, oh man, I stayed up way too late, I partied way too hard, I was out too long with my friends, or, or I just, you know, I burned the candle at both ends, I am tired, I have got lack of sleep and I need rest. But that changes over time. Um, Ruth Garcia, who was on the stage with Pastor Carlos, they were on stage together because they happened to be married, she said this, when you're young and busy and have little ones, you desperately need sleep. As you get older and you're busy, you need rest. I have all the time to get all the sleep I want, but it's learning how to rest that I need. Young people need to rest too, but lack of sleep is usually the focus and always being tired. Rest is something that we need to understand is not the same thing as sleep. Rest is this intentional, divine activity that God, because we're created in his image, has hardwired into us as a need. We need to come to a point in our week where we stop, where we cease, where we step away. The first thing we need to understand is that rest is divine. The second thing comes to the second picture, which is the shackles. See, because after the book of Genesis, we see God's people get enslaved, and they're in Egypt. And in Egypt, they are, they are literally slaves that are working seven days a week. Slaves do not get, okay, you know, work really, really hard. You work hard, you get to play hard. We're going to give you tickets to Six Flags. Go have a good time. That didn't happen. Everyone that was a working person in the agrarian society in the ancient world worked all throughout the week. It was nonstop. And if you were a slave, your work was constant. You were working your brains out all day long, and when you're at nighttime, you were thinking about your work. It was stressing you out. The way that your boss treated you, your slave driver, literally was a slave driver. You thought about that constantly, and then God liberates his people. He unshackles them, and one of the first things he does is gives them a list of like lifestyle changes. These are his commands, his law. And one of his laws was this. You former slaves, you people who were once shackled, now you're unshackled. And my command to you is to take it easy. And he had to command them this because as slaves, this was not something that they were just, they had innately inside of them. As slaves, they, no, I got to keep going. I got to keep working. No, you are free This is not going to be your definition. Your work is not going to be the thing that constantly is going to keep going, going, going. Instead, you are free from this. And he commands them in the passage that Ali read. Remember the Sabbath day. And Sabbath literally means to cease from work. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a ceasing, a stopping of work to the Lord your God. On it you shall do You shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son and daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor animals, or a foreigner residing in your towns. This freedom is for everyone. This liberate, and your neighboring communities, they don't get this. Because not only do they work seven days a week, for sure their slaves are going to work. But this is for everyone. Everyone gets liberation. Everyone gets a chance to stop working. Everyone. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and all that's in them. But then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Have you been robbing yourself of the very thing that God has built and designed you to do from the beginning of the universe that he does? Have you been robbing yourself of rest, the very thing that he gifted us as a command to say, take a break, take a break. On one day, you work six days, take a day where you're taking it off. Here are some things that we, just within our cultural context, we need to do. On a Sabbath, we need to first off do something different, okay? Throughout the week, you work. Let me just pause real quick here. What, what is the Sabbath? What day is the Sabbath? Yes, you're right. It ends with day. It is, for many people, Saturday, I mean, we, if we have any Spanish students in here, Saturday is Sabado, Sabbath. Saturday is Sabbath. However, the early church, when Jesus, because Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday, they said, you know what? We've always had Saturday as a set-apart day that we did nothing and we worshiped God and we were able to gather together with family and friends and just enjoy the day. But today, man, this is Super Bowl. This is the day of, of, of Jesus' resurrection. And so we're going to celebrate today. So we're going to work Monday through Saturday and take Sunday off. So how in the world did we get to a two-day weekend? <clears throat> is that something that we've always had? How long, <coughs> excuse me, how long have we had a two-day weekend? Just about 100 years. It's only been about 100 years of history where a two-day weekend is a reality. And it happened, this is ironic, because it happened by the fact that in America, you have Jewish people working alongside Christian people. And the Christian people are, well, we're going to work Monday through Saturday, and we're going to take Sunday off. And the Jewish workers are like, well, hold on a second, man. We got, our, our Sabbath is Saturday, the Sabbath. We get Saturday off. They couldn't come to a point of agreement. So in the early 1900s, they said, you know what? Let's just do this. Let's have Saturday and Sunday off because we can't agree. And Ford was one of the first companies that officially made that, that proclamation. And it's only been in the last couple of decades that the rest of the world has followed suit saying, this makes sense. But understand that what God has required of us is only one day to take it easy, which means that you, you, you really have, if you live in America and you have two days off, you've been given even more than God has given you. Which is pretty awesome. Now, here's another thing. When you come into Minooka Bible Church, you see people that are greeting at the door, people serving coffee, people in the sound booth, people that are leading worship. These volunteers are people who have said, God has given me six days of work. In my country, I got two days off. I only have to work five days. And so I'm going to take one of those days, and I'm going to use it to honor him and serve him in, in some type of ministry format. So let's give it up for our volunteers who take one of their days off. And say, and say, yeah, I'm going to want to pour that in. If you're not, if you're not like volunteering in some way, shape, or form, she's like, I have no time. No, no, you've got tons of time. You've got two days off. You've got an extra day of the week that America's given you that God never did. And so just find a way to use that, that for him. On Sabbath, however, on your day where you're doing something that you're, you're, you're setting this apart, and this could be Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, do something different. If you are a painter all throughout the week, on your Sabbath, don't paint. Cease from what you're normally doing and do something different. If you're a landscaper, if you're someone who mows lawns, on your Sabbath, don't mow your lawn. If you're an auto mechanic, if you're an auto mechanic, on your Sabbath, don't be fixing a bunch of stuff with your hands. Instead, cease the work, take it back a notch, and stop. Do something different. Not only that, not only do something different, but also do something that recharges your batteries. Find something that actually adds to your life. 
Okay, so let's go. There, a lot of Christians said, okay, on Sabbath, the scripture says don't do any work, and so we don't do any work. Jewish people on, on, who take the Sabbath, Saturday Sabbath, very seriously do nothing, not even press an um, elevator button because they consider that work. So people have different levels of intensity on this. But I think that the call that God is calling in our life to cease working means to stop doing the thing that you're pouring into all throughout the week so that you, on this day, could do something different that recharges your batteries. And for some of us in here that are really sick in the head, mowing the lawn actually is something that recharges our batteries. How many of you like mowing? Anyone? A couple of us? Okay. Yeah. It's weird because it's like this peaceful thing. And so if you're someone who's not mowing the lawn seven, six days a week, if that's not your profession, on your day off... If that brings you, that recharges the batteries, man, pour into that. Absolutely step into that. Do something that recharges your batteries. Also, okay, this is difficult. Ditch the phone. Or at least turn off your notifications. Okay, can I borrow someone's uh, cell phone? Does someone have a cell phone that I could borrow? Just anyone? All right. Thank you, Jake. All right. Have you ever wondered what would happen if you hit one of these with a hammer? No, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. All right. That would have been awesome, though. (laughs) This right here, folks, this is our new pharaoh. This is our boss. This is not simply for ease of, of, of life. This is a pharaoh. And we carry our Pharaoh with us everywhere we go. Our Pharaoh demands our attention. I mean, all he has to do is buzz, like vibrate in our pocket. And we just, we have to answer him. We have to go to him. What, 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 what do you need? Who, is, who has emailed me? Who has texted me? Who, 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 has, who has uploaded something about me? I need to find out what people are doing. I need to look. I need to constantly find. And you know what? I'm able to see how amazing people's, other, peop, other people's families are, how cool other people's vacations are, and how much my family stinks because of my Pharaoh. I'm able to like constantly throughout the day, I wake up and this is the, the first person I look at. I go to bed and I'm glaring at his glowing face, my Pharaoh. And all throughout the day, I can claim that this is helping me out and helping me become more efficient or connected to people. But the truth be told, this is my Pharaoh and I am shackled to him. And if you want to know to what degree your shackle to your Pharaoh is, um, drop this in a pool and don't replace it for a week. Or simply leave it at home and recognize how naked you feel as you're going throughout the day without your Pharaoh. On one day of the week, what if we at minimum turned off our notifications? And if you don't know how to turn off your notifications, there's a 12-year-old in here somewhere that could help you out with that, okay? But what if on a Sabbath, one day a week, you said, Pharaoh, you can be a lot of help in my life, but you can also enslave me. I'm going to make the conscious choice to have one day of the week where I leave you or at least I silence your voice in my head so that when I'm looking at the people I love, I can look at them right in the face. And their picture of me is not a glowing rectangle in front of mine, but their picture of me is my own eyes. One day where we can actually do that. We as a people don't Sabbath. And instead of Sabbathing, because we don't Sabbath, we don't get rest. And because we don't get rest, we end up replacing Sabbath with stimulants. 
We don't get enough sleep. We don't get enough rest throughout the week. And what we end up doing is just charging our lives to the degree that we just become a, a, a maniac. One person put it this way. You may say, so I start the day with a cup of coffee. Then more cups of coffee, then espresso. And could you put some chocolate on there and, and some crack or methamphetamine, whatever you have back there, just put it on my coffee, please. Then you go through your day thinking, man, I'm feeling a little tired. So I, I eat some simple carbohydrates because it easily turns into sugar and glucose in my body. But then I hit a slump and now I'm stressed out. So I'm going to use technology to keep me on. And now the adrenaline is firing, but I need more sugar. And so I eat more garbage. And so I've got things, they've got this thing, this massive thing of M&Ms on my desk, and I just eat that all day long. All throughout the day, I'm constantly pounding those back. And then three or four o'clock rolls around, and our body crashes, and our body says, we are done. And then we say, no, we are not. Here's a monster. Here's a Red Bull. Here's more coffee. And now I feel fine. Now I'm heading home eventually. And now I'm stressed out. I'm in traffic, and my phone is ringing, and I have a, a soda that's as big enough for a small child to have swimming lessons in. And I'm going to drink the whole thing on the way home. And then you show up at home, and you're so tired, but you can't sleep. I have no idea why I can't sleep. So I'll watch some TV. But that didn't help. It only stimulates my mind. And now I'm surfing the internet. Now I'm up all night. Now I'm freaking out. I know what I'll do. I'll have a drink. And then you go to sleep. But three hours later... The alcohol turns to sugar, and you're like, ah, and you're awake again. Now you're an over-caffeinated, drunk, grumpy, phone-answering, Sabbath-violating wreck, and we call it America. This is our world. What if, what if we actually took that seriously? And what if we actually guarded that with other areas of our life and other areas of our world that for the six days leading up to this day, we had it protected? To protect our Sabbath during the week, say no to good things. One of our biggest problems is that we say yes to everything, but we, say, we do not say no. We, we, don't, we, we, we need to say no to good things and only yes to great things. Because every time you say yes, you're saying no to something or somebody else. And in my life, what I've discovered is that the majority of my career, I have said yes to ministry things and things within the church life. And, I've said, and by doing that, I've said no to my family time and time again. The reality is, is that every decision you make, you're going to disappoint somebody. Who are you choosing to disappoint? In your world, who are you choosing to disappoint? I have chosen time and time again to disappoint the people that will be around my coffin when I die one day. Those are the people that I've chosen to disappoint. If you want to guard your Sabbath, learn how to say no to good things and finding yourself saying yes to great things. Shana, author Shauna Nequist, who wrote an amazing book called um, Present Over Perfection, our present over perfect, she said, we are responsible for the size and weight of the lives we create for ourselves. The amazing um, philosopher and theologian Jason Domingo said, I'm only as busy as I allow myself to be. How busy and frantic is your life? That is a creation of your own doing because of how many things and to what things you have said yes to. Say no to good things. Secondly, not only say no to good things, but also organize your time to be productive when you work and rested when you're not. This isn't 
you know, uh, work hard, play hard. This is work hard so that you, your boss knows that you are crazy diligent. You are incredibly dialed in. When you show up at work, you have the best integrity. You're the most honest. If you're in school, you're like, hard, you're, what your teacher gives you, you do your homework on time. We're, we're not the type of people who are known to be slackers or lazy. We are hard workers. And when we're off work, when we're out of school, we are able to rest. And when we get to that day, we're not like, doing things to try to uh, overcompensate for the fact that we were totally disorganized all throughout the week and procrastinated everything. How many of you are procrastinators? Just, you know, kind of like that's, that's your gig? Yeah, me too. And sometimes I like to think that it's a good quality. Oh no, it's because you're creative. You procrastinate. It's your way God wired your brain. No. I think that oftentimes I'm disorganized because I'm disorganized. One of the things that we, if you're disorganized like me, you need to do is to manage a calendar so that you're not overbooking or double booking things. Um, I've ac- actually needed to ask Joyce to help me out because my brain does not work very well in organizational land. And so what I need to do is to have a calendar. Organize your calendar so that you're able to find time to work out that you're able to find time to enjoy, that you're able to find time to do your work so that when you're off work, you can actually enjoy the time with the people around you, setting up opportunities to meet with friends and go and hang out with people. Organize your time to be productive when you work and rested when you're not. And then finally, carving out daily time to rest in God's word. So that when you roll into Saturday or Sunday and you're coming to a worship service, you're not like, it doesn't take you 45 minutes into the service to where your heart is finally thawed out and you're actually finally worshiping. But instead, you've actually been hanging out with God every single day and finding time to just spend time with him. And if you have no clue where to read in the Bible and no idea what to do, go to youversion.com or go, if you're a guy, go to herewardstruth.com or a lady, sherewardstruth.com. These sites have devotional guides and reading plans that can help you. Because I'm somebody that I, I can't just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to read this. I need something to guide me. That helps me out. Find time every day. You do that. By the time you get to your Sabbath, you're actually going to be coming in at a point where you're ready to rest and ready to enjoy and ready to evaluate life and enjoy the Lord and what he has given to you. Otherwise, we go right back to that. Otherwise, we just let our life and our schedule and our frankness be our, our, our boss and our pharaoh, and we need to separate from that. The final picture is this. Because when Jesus, when we finally roll into the New Testament, we recognize that Jesus um, is somebody who helps us understand that Sabbath is not just about new rules. Okay, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this. In fact, his big thing was Sabbath was for, it was, it's, it's, Sabbath is for men, not men for the Sabbath. We're not like, God's not trying to put another burden on us. Okay, if you're really spiritual, you do He's trying to give us a gift, this gift of rest. And, and what he was communicating, what Jesus was communicating, is that this is something that we do to evaluate, to slow down, to enjoy, to look at the rest of our life and actually take a breath where we hear the thoughts that are inside of our head instead of just the stress that's driving our schedules. And we could slow down enough to go, okay, thank you, God, for what you've given me. God, I, I'm so disconnected. Reconnect me with the story that you've called me into. Matthew says that Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. But even more than simply being the Lord of the Sabbath as someone who could define what Sabbath was, he was someone who was inviting us into a rest that was deeper than a mere one day out of seven rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden, my burden is light. Jesus was telling a first century group of people who were frantically trying to prove themselves to God, God, if I do this, this, and this, am I going to be acceptable to you? And Jesus said, all of that work that you feel like you need to do to prove yourself to God, I'm going to do something that's going to cause rest, an eternal Sabbath. You don't have to work your way to God. You don't have to prove yourself to God. I'm going to prove myself to the Heavenly Father, my righteousness to the Heavenly Father, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. You can rest in the grace of God. This is a free gift. And when we realize that, when we understand that, all of a sudden it's a game changer for everything else. It it all of a sudden causes all the other things that are in our life to come into context. You may be having a lack of rest right now, not because you have mismanaged your schedule or your life, but because life has become so precariously difficult as of late. And there's been bomb after bomb after bomb dropping on your life where you just feel like you're running and you're running and you're running and you're tired. Jesus talks about the fact that when we come to him, we can find rest in him. When ISIS was attacking Iraq, all those people, Christians and Muslims, because ISIS was, was killing actually more Muslims than Christians, but they were all fleeing Iraq, and they were finding refugee camps, and in these refugee camps, they were running in, into missionaries who were there to help them, and the missionaries were talking about Jesus, and something really amazing started taking place. Scores of Muslims were starting to become Christians, turning their life to Jesus, and when asked why, They said, well, there's this verse that we heard. Something that Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And these people who have been running and scared to death finally gave themselves to a person who's bigger than their fear, bigger than their problems, bigger than their pain, and they found rest to the point that those people then started going back home to tell all the people that they left in Iraq about this Jesus they've discovered. Isn't that amazing? Frantic, messed with, in pain, at rest. I told you I was gonna show you three pictures, but I lied, I'm gonna show you a couple more. Whenever I watch they always do it like at seven in the morning on the news when I'm watching the news. They show these veterans who have come back from the war and surprise their kids at school, and it wrecks me. 7 a.m. is far too early for a man to cry. 7 p.m., totally fine. 7 a.m., but I watch these things and these kids who suddenly have seen their dad who's been gone for so long and then embrace. When I see that, all of a sudden I get a chance to see a picture of what rest is truly called, what God describes rest to be. It's this realization that dad's home, that he's come back. Something that was missing is now here. And 
And this is the relationship we have with God because of what Jesus has accomplished. No matter what you're going through, no matter how frantic your schedule is, that rest is found in him. Are you robbing yourself of that rest? Augustine said it this way. He said, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. When we come to communion, this may be something that is very, very just, we do this as Christians, this is just what we do. I wanna encourage you, when you come to communion, you are not simply coming as an individual who's just taking the bread and taking the cup because that's what we do as Christians. But instead, you're actually looking at this as a way to enter into your rest, realizing that it was Jesus, not you, who suffered and died for our sins, that he gave us the realization that we're not only someone who's planted in eternity in heaven where we can enter into eternal rest, but he's actually given us the reality that that rest can descend upon the schedules that we have, the brokenness that we have, the sin that we have. Let communion be the thing that is causing you to actually enjoy that. What we're gonna do is we're gonna exit our rows on the left-hand side. We're gonna come around the tables and take the bread and the cup and bring them back to our seats. And if you're a Christian, this is open to you. If you're someone who has been marked by that Savior, this is open to you. And before you take it, we're gonna take it together in just a few moments. Contemplate that. Am I resting in God? Have I enjoyed the Sabbath that comes from the peace that I have in Him? Am I looking forward to my death not as a point where I'm gonna rest in peace like we put on grave markers, but the peace that I have then is that I've rested in Jesus and I can enjoy that now, right now. In a few moments, we'll take the elements together. Right now, go ahead and stand up, exit your rows on the left-hand side, go to the table.